0: Hey church, welcome to Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Cody Mahaffey and I'm the Connections and group pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So our mission here is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help draw you near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by his word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you really are in him. Amen, thank you, Janice. Hey everybody. Good morning, it's good to see you. If you're uh, watching, joining with us online, it's great to have you joining with us as well. Uh, You guys ready to start a new series? That's good, because whether you're ready or not, that's what we're going to do today. So uh, you may not realize this, but we are right now in in the church calendar year, what's known as the season of Lent. Lent is the 40 days, not including Sundays, leading up to Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And so really what it is, is it's an opportunity for us to prepare our hearts and to have our our minds and our hearts shaped around the person of Jesus as we prepare for the celebration of the cross and the resurrection, which is the central part of our faith. It's what everything that we believe and that we hope for is based on. And so uh, starting today and including our Good Friday service leading up until Easter Sunday morning, we are going to be in this series looking at the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. Okay, so in the Gospel of John, seven different times, Jesus says the words, I am, and then he reveals something about himself, about his true nature, about who he is, that is so critical for us to understand, to really follow after him. And, and so if you know anything about the Old Testament, even just the fact that Jesus said the words, I am, is very significant. Because in the Old Testament of the Bible, God reveals himself to his people and he tells them, my name is, I am. I, 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 in a sense, I am the great I am. And so every single one of these statements, when Jesus says, I am, and then he reveals something, he's literally claiming to be God. He's claiming to be divine. And so what we're going to do every week is we're going to look at another one of these statements and we're going to say, what is it that Jesus reveals about himself? And what does that mean for us as we seek to follow after him and be shaped by him? And so uh, that's where we're going. That's what we're going to be looking through over these next few weeks. Um, it's interesting because the, the month of March is a really significant month for my family and, and for me. Uh, so this month, the month of March, our oldest son, Alan, is moving out of the house. It's the first of our four boys to actually move out and and become independent, and move out on their own. Yeah, you could clap for that. I think that's good. That's good. So... Uh he, um, he and his uh, beautiful fiance, Danielle, are going to be getting married in May. We're, we're almost there. And so he is moving into the apartment they're going to live in. Uh, you know, after they get married, they're going to live in, in that apartment together. And so uh, we're excited for him. Uh, this has just been like an interesting time, just kind of sorting through, boxing things up. And, and as I've shared that with friends and people, the, the question I keep getting asked by people is, well, are Are you sad? So people keep asking. You know, the first son, first child kind of moving out of the house, aren't you sad to see them go? And over and over again, I keep answering by saying, no, I'm not sad to see him go. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I love my sons. I love all four of my boys, but we celebrate when kids move out of the house and become independent. That's a good thing. We've been training for this for years and years and years. This is exactly what we hoped would happen. It's wonderful. Now, maybe it helps me that he's only moving a few miles down the road from us. But no, I'm not sad. To make it even better, Alan informed us this past week that when he moves out, he is going to be taking with him the family cat. Praise you, Jesus. Yes. (laughs) Even better than that, because he's taking the family cat, that means he will also be taking with him the box of turds in our living room. (laughs) This just keeps getting better and better for me. No, I'm not sad that he's moving out. This is wonderful. Uh, We've talked about this idea before that that how how do you gauge physical maturity? How how do you, when you think about like, what does it mean for someone to grow up? Physical maturity is always a move from dependence to independence. Think about that newborn baby, right? Completely and totally dependent on its mother for every single basic need of life or it will die. It is 100% dependent, that child. How do we know when a child has grown up? How do we know when, they, when they've matured physically? It's because they become more and more independent. So that's true financially. It's true developmentally. In every way, that's a good thing when they move out. That's how we know what physical maturity is. In this first I am statement that we're gonna look at in this series together today, Jesus actually tells us that when it comes to our spiritual lives, in the spiritual reality, The exact opposite is true. Jesus is about to tell us that when it comes to spiritual maturity, what it actually is, it's a move from independence to dependence. How do you know when someone has matured and grown up spiritually? It's because they're no longer saying it's me by my own power. I can do it by myself. Thank you very much. I've got it on my own. And we move to more and more places in our lives where we are dependent on the person of Jesus and the Holy spirit to lead us and to guide us. That's what spiritual maturity looks like. It's, it's less and less of me proving that I can do it on my own and me becoming more and more dependent on him. That's what Jesus is going to insist upon in this, in this revelation that we're going to read that he says in John 15 today. I love what Watchman Nee said. Watchman Nee was a great spiritual writer from the last century. He just said, Satan's main goal is to get you to act unaided. In other words, you know, Satan, we think Satan's main goal is like to get you to wake up tomorrow and commit some horrible, awful sin. It's not. All all Satan's really trying to do is he's just trying to get you to act unaided by the person of Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit within you. He's just trying to get you to act independently on your own power. You'll do the rest. You'll unravel your life all on your own. He doesn't have to do it for you. He just has to get you to act in your own power. And Jesus speaks about this in John 15 with his disciples. This passage of scripture for me has become one of the most sacred and dear passages to me, especially over the last few years. And so I'm really, I wanted to start this series with uh, this statement. Jesus says, I am the true vine. That's the first I am statement that we're looking at today. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, just to begin to kind of uh, peel back some of the layers of this passage, the first thing I want to say is uh, for Jesus' original hearers of this, the Jewish people that he was speaking to, his original disciples, when they heard him say this whole thing about vine and branches and God is a gardener, uh, that metaphor was not a new metaphor to them. Jesus wasn't inventing a new metaphor here at all. They would have immediately recognized that metaphor of God as a gardener and there's a vineyard and then there's a vine. But Because all throughout the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, which was the Jewish scriptures, all throughout God is referred to as a gardener and Israel is the vine. And God is tending the vine. A great example of this is Isaiah chapter five, verses one through seven. That's literally called the song of the vineyard. It begins, the prophet Isaiah begins, I will sing a song of a fruitful vineyard. And, and basically it's this depiction of God, metaphorically gardening, and he's caring for this vine. The vine is Israel and He's do, he cares for the vine. He tends to it. He does everything he can to help it be fruitful. And then God is discouraged. He's frustrated because the vine doesn't produce any fruit. The vine doesn't do what it's supposed to do. And it's this kind of indictment against the failure of Israel to really live up to what God wanted Israel to be. And so what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is stepping right into the middle of that very, very well-known metaphor for his original years. And he's saying, I am the true vine. It's not Israel. And in some ways he's saying, I am the true and better vine. Israel was imperfect but I'm perfect. Israel was the type, but I am the reality. Jesus is literally saying, I have come to fulfill what Israel couldn't fulfill. I'm the true vine. I came to bring it all its ultimate meaning. It's me. That's what he's saying. And his invitation to us, he says, remain in me, not in your status as an Israelite, remain in me. Now, now, why is that so important? Well, why is that so significant that Jesus says that? Simply because every single one of us, we are all remaining in something. You are already remaining in something. Every, every one of us. If you're watching online, you are too. A job, a career, uh, your money, a family, or, or your dream for what you think a family will be in your future, your plans, all of us, we, we have kind of something that we're remaining in. Basically what we remain in is whatever would help make us more independent. We remain in whatever it is we think will, will give us a stronger sense of self, a, strong, a stronger sense of myself independently, standing on my own two feet as a strong person. That's what we, that's what we look for. And, so, and then here's what we do. In that quest to remain in something and, and become something give, that will give us a sense of self, we look for advisors. We look for counselors. We look for teachers, coaches, mentors who will give us great advice and help us strengthen our independence, will help us become a stronger sense of self. And Jesus, here in this passage, Jesus is not offering to be any of those things. He doesn't come and say, I'm the true advisor. He doesn't say, I'm the true coach. I'm the true mentor. What Jesus is actually offering here is something much more intimate than that. Something much more personal, something much more meaningful than that. So I want to look at this word. He he says, remain in me. And so some some translations translate it as abide. uh, But this word, when you see it, it's the Greek word meno. And meno literally means to dwell. That's what it means. To, to abide or to dwell. It literally connotates a place of living. That's what, it's, that's what it connotates. And a way you could say it is to make your home in. Jesus is literally saying, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You have to make your home in me. You have to remain in me. You have to dwell in me. I can travel all over, but I always long for home. I, I know where home is. If I'm sad, if I'm discouraged, if I'm lonely, if I'm exhausted, I long for the refuge that is home. Jesus is literally, that's, that's what he's offering to be for us. He's literally saying, I want you to make your home in me. You, you got to dwell in me. You got to remain or abide in me. The thing that always blows me away, and I, especially as I've meditated on this passage more and more over the last few years, I don't know if you have this experience too, but whenever I, I read this, the, the thing that goes off in my brain, I literally think to myself, could it really be that simple? <laughs> I don't know if anybody is like, literally, it has to be more complicated than this. Could it be that Jesus is literally saying, look, if you want to produce fruit and, and have the life that is really truly life, all you have to do is make your home in me, dwell in me, abide in me, and I will do the work. I will do the heavy lifting. I'll be the one that produces the fruit. It seems too good to be true, doesn't it? I read that and I, every time I read it, it's almost like it, could, it couldn't possibly be. But that's actually what Jesus is inviting us into. That's what he's offering to be for us. Instead of that, instead of remaining in him, instead of making our home in him, what we do instead in our quest to establish independence is we sort of like interview Jesus for the job of being our advisor uh, to, to help us become more independent. We sit Jesus down, we say, okay, Jesus, I've got some questions here. And if you can just kind of answer these questions, maybe then I'll hire you to be my advisor. And you, you and me together, like you can help me become a stronger self. Tim Keller talks about how every single human being has to have working answers to the ultimate questions of life. Every single one of us, every single human being, we have to have Working answers, even if they're not good answers, we have to have some level of working answers to the ultimate questions of life. What do I mean by the ultimate questions? Here here are three of them. Uh, What happens when I die? Every one of us has to have some working answer to that question. What's going to happen when I die? Another one is what's the meaning of life? In other words, what are we here for? What's the purpose of all this? What's my purpose here? Why, Why does all this exist? And then thirdly, How do I face suffering? We all know we're going to face suffering, but the question is, how do I face suffering? You know, how do I make sense of that? How do I deal with that in my life? So the idea is every single human being, we have to have working answers to those questions. And so whatever your answers are to those ultimate questions of life, that's your religion. That's what you believe. Okay, so atheists... Are very religious people. They're extremely religious people because atheists have working answers to those questions, and they, by faith, you know, just they, just as much faith as anybody else. They, by faith, believe their answers to those questions. They're different answers than I have for those questions, but atheists are very religious people because they have those answers. And whatever you believe are the answers that, that is your religion. If I could take it even a step further, whatever your answers are to those questions, that's what you're remaining in. That's what you're abiding in. That's what you're dwelling in. That's what you're making your home in. And whatever are those answers, that, that, that will shape you as a person. It will shape your hopes. It'll shape your dreams. It'll shape your plans for the future. It'll shape what you believe is possible for your life and what is not possible for your life. And Jesus suggests here in in this passage, it's absolutely profound. He suggests that the answers to those ultimate questions are not found in logical explanations or or dissertations or, or statements. He's literally saying the answers to those questions are found in a person, me. He says, I am the answers to those questions. It's me. You you have to remain in me. That's the invitation. And so the question is then, how do we do that? What what does it mean to remain? What does it mean to dwell and to to make our home in Jesus, in our relationship with him? And so I just wanna look at uh, just three, this is not meant to be exhaustive. There's so much in this passage in John 15, There's way more than we could ever cover in one sermon from this statement, but just three ideas here to remain or abide or make your home in Jesus. There's three things that we have to accept. We have to come to this place in our lives where we just accept these three things if we're going to remain in the person of Jesus. The first one is this. We have to come to this place where we accept that remaining is my only option for a full life. Remaining is my only option for a full life. Now, you, we understand, don't we, that there are different levels of being alive, right? Uh, plants. Plants are alive, aren't they? Like that, that, those trees out there, they look dead. But some point here in the next month, I hope, <laughs> uh, stuff is going to start to happen. Things are going to start to bloom, and we're going to realize like, oh, those plants were alive. They're still alive, right? So plants are alive, but we would say Human beings are alive at a different level. Humans have maybe like a higher level of life than plants, right? You know how I know we believe that? Because if a human being suffers a traumatic brain injury, uh, then they are reduced basically to, they're still alive, but they're reduced to the level of a plant life. And so what we literally call them, we say, well, that person, they are a vegetable, right? They're in a vegetative state. What we're recognizing is, is they're alive, But they're basically functioning kind of at the, the life of a plant level. They're not functioning at the optimum level that a human being is supposed to live at. So there are different levels for life. There's plants, there's animals, there's humans. What Jesus is saying here in this passage is there's actually something even higher than human life, than the human experience. He's saying there's abiding life in me. Remaining in me is the only way to have a full life. In fact, a few chapters before this in John 10, Jesus says, I have come that that you might have life and life to the full. You can be alive, but not fully alive. I've come that you can experience full life. And the only way we experience the fullest life is in remaining, abiding in the person of Jesus. We have to come to this place where we accept that remaining is my only option if I want to have the fullest kind of life you can possibly have. That, That independent life, Making a strong sense of myself, that's a lesser life than living in in life in Christ. Secondly, we have to accept that remaining is my only option for advancing the kingdom. Remaining is my only option for advancing the kingdom. We just read it there in verse 4, didn't we? Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Not, you know, apart from me, you can get some stuff done. Like, you know, if, if you just like work really hard, if you just try to be a really good person and do some good things, like you, you'll get some stuff done. It'll be okay. He doesn't even say that. He literally says, if, if apart from me, you are just spinning your wheels in the mud. You're going nowhere. You can do nothing. There's nothing good that you can do on your own power, on your own strength. So, so the invitation from Jesus is literally that you have to remain in me. You have to make your home in me and, and fix your gaze on me. And it's then I'm the one who will produce the fruit in your life. Your job isn't to produce the fruit. Your job isn't to advance the kingdom. Your job is to remain, to dwell, to abide in me. And I'll do the one. I'll be the one who does the fruit through you, through your life. But well, what this means, if you really understand it is if, you know, if I'm not remaining in Jesus, if I'm not resting in the person of Jesus, then I am working even when I'm trying to rest. Even my rest isn't real rest. It isn't full rest. If I'm not a remaining in Jesus, if I'm not resting in him, then even when I try to, to work, uh, or even when I try to rest, I mean, I'm not resting, I'm actually working. And the inverse of that is true as well. If I am remaining in Jesus, if I am resting in him, then I am resting even when I'm working. Yes, it's true that we need to rest from our work, but it's also true that there is a work that only comes from our rest. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Unless I'm working out of my rest, my ultimate abiding relationship in Jesus, there's nothing good coming out of my life. But This is what we have to accept if we want to really remain in Jesus, that these things are true. And then, you know, thirdly, Jesus says to remain, we must accept that remaining requires allowing God to cut off anything in me that bears no fruit. There it is. You knew we were going to get to it eventually, didn't you? <laughs> this is, that's the part of this passage that none, nobody likes. The word is prune. I don't know if you caught it there. And it says that God is the gardener. And so what God does is he comes along when we're remaining in Jesus, what he, what he does is the gardener comes along and he cuts off, he prunes anything in us. That is not fruitful, so that we can become more fruitful. A pruning is when you cut like something off of a plant, a living thing, that's basically draining the life of the plant and keeping it from being fruitful and keeping it from being productive. And so God does that in our lives. I mean, I would just ask you, is it possible that right now you're in a season of pruning? Maybe, maybe it's a job. Maybe it's some plans you had for where you thought life was going and, and then suddenly, boom, it all got cut off. And, and you're frustrated with God. Maybe it was a relationship that got pruned out of your life. Are you in a season right now where you're actually, what you, what, sometimes we don't realize we're actually fighting against a pruning that God is trying to do in our lives. We're wrestling with him, we're fighting with him, trying to, to keep him from cutting something off in our life and what he's doing it for he's not doing it to hurt us he's doing it to help us he's doing it to help us grow do you know the difference imagine uh, there's a man in a park the man is walking through the park and suddenly he's confronted by a man with a mask the man has a knife the man cuts him and then takes all of his money so they rush the man to the hospital, and there in the hospital, they determine that he needs surgery in order to fix the damage that's been done. And so there in the operating room, he is confronted by a man with a mask. The man has a knife. The man cuts him, and then the man takes all of his money. <laughs> you, you, you get it, right? One of those is there to hurt him the other one is there to help him do do you know the difference between when God is working in your life doing a pruning to actually help you this is what I'm I'm trying to say God is never more intimate he he is never more close to you he is never more caring more, more loving in your life more present and close to you than when he's got the knife in his hand It's his mercy and his grace. And oftentimes we find ourselves fighting against the very thing that he wants to do in our lives. Instead of saying, Lord, cut it off, whatever you got to do, whatever you got to take away from me so that my heart, everything would be burned away except for my passion and my love for you. Because remaining in you, that's the only way to have a real life. That's the only way to have the fullest life that's possible. Is there anywhere where you just need to say, God, I, I submit to you. I trust you. I'm going to let you do what you need to do in my life. Is that the move you need to make today? God, take it all, cut it off. I loved our worship this morning, the way it just centered us back on the person of Jesus. It's all about you. That's what he's inviting. That's what he's asking us to be. I am the true vine, he says. You don't have any life outside of remaining in me. And I'm the one who can produce the fruit. The gardener is going to come along and he's going to cut things out of your life, but it's for your good to make you more fruitful. Yield to him, submit to him. I, 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 I want to kind of end with uh, focusing in on one verse. Again, this passage has just become so dear to me, but uh, verse 11 in this passage for me has been a place where I've just come back to again and again over the last year. because it's incredibly profound what Jesus says. And and the more I've meditated on it, the more I've just sort of lived with this. Uh, This verse to me is just so incredibly powerful because Jesus does something we're about to see here. In verse 11, he actually tells us why he's telling us this. Okay, with the other seven I am statements, he doesn't necessarily tell us why he's telling us this. With this one, Jesus actually tells us, here's why I'm telling you this. Here's why you need to know this. And what he says is so incredibly profound, if we can get it. John 15, 11, Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I'm gonna read that again slowly because it's just so incredible. Jesus says, I have told you this. I'm the true vine, you're the branch, remain in me. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you And that your joy may be complete. Did you understand what Jesus is saying there? Jesus is literally saying look, life is not going to bring you joy. Stop going around your life, expecting life to bring you joy and getting disappointed when life doesn't bring you joy. Life is not going to bring you joy. Jesus says, remain in me and then I will give you my joy and then you can take my joy into whatever you face in this life. That's good news. That's real hope. The month of March is um, a big month for us. And for, for me personally, not just because my son is moving out of the house, but also because March is scan time again. So every six months, I go in for these full-body CT scans to determine whether or not the cancer is still in remission. And so uh, every time we get to this you know this point on the calendar, I go through what I can only describe as scanxiety. It's just, it's this, ang- this weird anxiety. I wish I, I was more spiritual in this. I wish it didn't affect me but I have to find myself coming back and remaining in my relationship in, with Jesus in a fresh way every six months. I was reflecting this past week on uh, something that happened in 2021 when I, I went through chemotherapy in 2021. And I, I had I was just uh, remembering, I remember this one day I went in for my treatment. And the way it works is you, you sit in this chair for hours while you get this treatment and, and there's a nurse that's assigned to you. And it's one nurse, it's the same person that's assigned to you uh, you know, for the whole day. And so, um, this nurse was assigned to me and because you're, you're there for the whole day, as you sit there in this chair and they pour toxic waste into your veins, you get to talking to this person who's checking on you making sure you're okay. And so you get to kind of know their life. And and so this particular, uh, nurse, uh, she was having a really rough time in life. Like there's some stuff happening with her kids. She was just carrying some really heavy burdens and you could tell. And then to make matters worse, that particular day, the chemo drugs got delivered late. So if you don't know, they have to actually mix the chemo drugs the morning of and send it over to the the cancer center. And so whatever happened, they didn't get there. And so that put everything behind. Everything's off schedule. And so she's already stressed out, my nurse, and now she's getting more and more angry, more and more frustrated, more and more impatient. She's just upset, angry. And so what I started doing is every time she'd come over to me, I just started joking around with her. I just started like trying to joke at her because what am I going to do? I'm just sitting here for all day, whether I like it or not, in this chair, right? And so I just kept joking with her and joking with her. And finally, I guess I was kind of annoying her at some point because finally she turns to me. and She just goes, what are you so happy about? And my response, I said to her, what are you so unhappy about? You don't even have cancer. And thankfully she laughed and that sort of opened this, this door and this window. And I got to share with her why I'm happy, not why, and even more importantly, why I'm joyful, why I have joy. Where does that come from? I got to talk about my relationship with Jesus. You, you see it? It's possible to be sick and to be actually living a fuller life, a better life, a higher level of life than those who are well. Inversely, it's it's possible to be well and living a worse life, a lesser life than those who are sick. You wanna know the secret? Come here, I'll tell you the secret. Come in here if you're watching online. The secret is it all matters where you are building your home, where you're dwelling, where you're abiding. Is it the person of Jesus or is it your own independence? Stop expecting life to bring you joy. Life is not going to bring you joy. It's not, doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. Remain in Jesus. He will give you his joy and then you can bring his joy into whatever you face in this life. And that is real life that is real hope, That is that will not disappoint you, remain in Him. We hope this message encouraged you to know who God is and who you are in Him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com slash next. We look forward to connecting with you there, and we'll see you back here next week.